Today's topic is core, diet, and rhythm. It sounds like an exercise physiology class <laughs> that you've stepped into. Um, no, we're not going to pass out the ab crunchers right now and, uh, and start building our core. And no, we're not going to get you on a certain diet and um, you play some music for the rhythm to keep you all going. But those three points, I'll repeat them again, and you'll hear them as we go through the, the text here. Core, diet, and rhythm. Those are the three things that we're going to see that comes out in the text regarding this new community called Christians. We're in a sermon series right now, and it's called Every Christian is a Minister. And so some of us are going, what? Wait a minute. I thought that was just the professional Christians that were ministers. I thought that was just the people that got paid to be a Christian and be a spokesperson about Christianity. No, no. What you indeed signed up for when becoming a follower of Jesus is that you are a minister. And as we see this fledgling church in the book of Acts, uh, this startup uh, that would begin to attract um, multi-classes, multi-ethnic, multicultural, uh, very diverse in terms of ethnicity, but also in the geography that it would uh, end up spreading towards. Uh, the book of Acts is that summary of the church being started and beginning to spread throughout the known world. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why you and I are here in San Francisco worshiping is that someone shared the good news um, as early back as the first century with us. Thanks be to God. So chapter 2 of Acts is where we find ourselves today. I'll, I'll read it. And the context is Peter has just given a very long sermon, much longer than the one you're going to hear today. Um, and this is sort of the result of that preaching and what these new believers began to devote themselves to. And that's why we mentioned core, diet, and rhythm. I'll read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's take a moment and just pause and, and try to reflect and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we 
are in awe as we think of this early church that started to gather together. People with the same doubts as us. People that um, had struggles with jealousy. People that had struggles with workaholism and uh, depression and anxiety and Lord, everything else that we deal with. And yet, in spite of all of those weaknesses, you continue to build your kingdom. You continue to have this good news of the gospel spread. And so, throughout all of this, Father, we see you as the hero of this story. It wasn't the acts of the apostles that's in highlight or in focus, but it's your commitment to your own story and your own name to make sure that the gospel spreads. And so, Father, we are gathered today in in gratitude for your grace. And we thank you for what you're going to teach us here in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is it? What is it that's so unique about this um, first century church that's gathering together? Was it that they were small and nimble and they could move and meet in different homes? Is it that they had a diverse group of people meeting together? Is it that they had a very strong preacher, Peter? Um, What is it? What is kind of the DNA that gives them their power? Uh, Very first thing is their core. I want you to look at core, and I want you to be thinking about your core. Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts And they replied, what should we do? Uh, Peter's words, uh, basically this is a hyperlink for you and I to click on the sermon. And I encourage you, go back and read the beginning of chapter 2 to read the sermon. And Peter is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about uh, the audience is gathered there. He's using lots of Old Testament scriptures uh, that was predicting the death and resurrection of Christ. And he tells those, that those people there that are gathered, you crucified Christ. It was you all. You did it. Yet by the preordained plan of God, he caused Christ to die and then rise again from the dead. It was this core message that pierced their hearts. It was not an invitation to join a social club, a tech startup, a, hey, we wear the same clothes, we have the same amount of money in our bank accounts, we own the same amount of properties or not. Uh, the core message of this community uh, was, uh, was the gospel. It was good news. And this is instructive to us, this verse 38, when they ask, what do we do then? We've heard this interesting message, we've heard about this new Lord or King who's King of the nations, as you're saying, Peter. What do we do about this? And he gives them the classic, as Jesus would give his listeners, repent. Repent. Turn to God, he says. Be baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 39, he says, um, I hope you're looking at this. Verse 39 here says, this promise is for you and your children. Your children's children. If you were to pause right there and even just do a study on that little phrase... It links you all the way back to Abraham, who was a moon worshiper, essentially, before God began to reveal himself in the Old Testament to this guy named Abraham, and essentially says, stop worshiping the moon and worship the creator of the moon. And I've created you and I've created all nations to know me. And then he tells Abraham to go out and count the number of stars. So cool how 
He knew Abraham was interested in the stars, but he speaks to Abraham in that specific way. Count the number of stars, if indeed you can. And then he says, so will your descendants be. Meaning, cryptically, uh, those who will believe in me, those who will become Christians in the, in the way far future are going to be from all nations and all tribes and will be too many to count. And it's going to happen through you, Abraham. It's my promise. I'm the one who will make it happen. I'm committed to it. It's my covenant, but it's actually through you. So now we return to Peter when he says, this promise is for you, listener, and for your children, and for those who are far away. I love that phrase. I considered myself far away before I remember becoming a Christian. Uh, You may recall your own story. Maybe you felt far away. And even if you didn't feel far away, the scriptures remind us that you were indeed far away. Uh, The point of this that, that Peter is making is it is a miracle the core of the Christian message and the Bible's message, the miracle is that because of who we are as sinners, we could be brought into a new relationship with God the Father by grace. That we could be adopted into this new family. That is an unbelievable core message, unparalleled among all other religions that you may be studying and researching at this very moment. Verse 39, he goes on to say, All uh, this promise is for you, your children, those who are far away, and all who have been called by the Lord our God. I love that he doesn't just say, Those of you who are far away, good luck. You're far away, and hope you find your way back. Try to do these things, and if you do them consistently enough, repetitively enough, good enough, you'll make it back. And we'll try to throw you a sort of a life preserver every now and then if you do good enough. No, it says those who have been called by the Lord are God. This is the core message. Peter doesn't want to veer away from it. He doesn't want to say, hey, we could really build the church if we pour in this ounces of this and if we do that and we sort of stir it all together, we could really create an incredible organization. The core of the church is its message, its grace. It's gospel. It's good news. Those who are far away have been called. Rejoice. Celebrate. Yay. Yay. Thank you. This is your core. I mean, we talk about our core and all the musculature that makes up our core. And um, our family actually did just (laughs) buy one of those um, ab crunchers or whatever uh, to focus on core. Um, and, and the running club that I'm a part of here in San Francisco, crazy enough, after our speed workouts at Kizar Track on Tuesday nights, uh, they throw on planks. After doing all those mile repeats, it's like, we're going to do planks. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's to build the core. My point, Peter's point in mentioning core is you never graduate from the core. We can't show up to church enough. We can't read the Bible enough and finally say, well, okay, let's get to something better or, or slicker or cooler. Or No, it's right back to the core of the message. And that for you and for me, being a Christian is the deepest part of your core. It's not our sexual identity. It's not our ethnicity. It's not what music we like the best or our favorite 
you know, clothes or the people we hang out with or identify with most, it's the deepest part of who you are. Or another way of saying that, the truest thing about you is your identity in Christ. So this influences their, uh, their diet. That's our second thing, uh, our diet. Notice anybody on a diet, and we've all been on one, uh, most of them have crashed uh, around the second week of January, and, 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 and we get a restart, and, and we need to get around others who are doing the same thing with us, and then we end up changing the word diet to lifestyle. And I want to be on a, a diet. I, this needs to be more uh, of a lifestyle, but there's a, there's a serious sense of devotion. There's, there's great intentionality that comes with being on a diet. And so verse 42, we see all the believers devoted themselves. So because what Peter says about the core message of the gospel, since that's true, they now can devote themselves to or have a diet of a few things here. The first part of their diet was the apostles' teaching and prayer. Um, and basically, the apostles' teaching is, is the Bible. The apostles' teaching, uh, they're not coming up with a new teaching. They're not um, coming up with new doctrinal points that are in addition to the Bible. They're simply teaching the Old Testament and are writing about who this Christ really is, that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah. He is God's presence in human form to be our Redeemer, to live a life that we could never live. So they're devoting themselves, this Fledgling new group of Christians are devoting themselves, as we are right now, to the Bible's teaching that begins to shape our minds and remind us of who we really are. Um, This was a learning church. I love that. I love that the church was never meant to be a place that had all the answers. We've been to those places We've been to those places that shame us for having questions. Yet this first century church committed themselves. They were devoted. Part of their diet was, was ingesting God's word, reading, rereading it, memorizing it. Not out of guilt, not even out of competition, but sustenance. Seeing ourselves in need of ingesting God's word. And so I ask myself a question. I'm going to ask it to you. What, what would that even look like? What, what would it look like to, to grow in being more devoted and having greater regularity of intake of Scripture? What does that look like? Uh, I, I've, I've talked with a couple of uh, friends here recently about um, memorizing Scripture together. And, and those that I've talked to, I, I need you to come back up to me and say, when are we going to start that? Uh, our intentions can fall off. We, we need community. We need one another. We need, as this first century church had, this, this diet of, of, of ingesting God's word, and I'm just simply asking and encouraging us to devote ourselves. Devote ourselves. Some of us have recently picked up the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, we, we reference it quite often here, and, and again, if you haven't gotten a copy of that, just, just get one. Just go ahead and get one. We'll give you one. Uh, it's creative, but it very succinctly tells the grand narrative or the story of Scripture. And yet, it's not the Scriptures, but sometimes something like that can help us get, get in the Scriptures. 
And the reason why this was important for them and for us is it's basically that whenever you wake up in the morning and the world tells you that you suck or that you're not successful or that you really don't have what you deserve or that if you were really in that relationship instead of the one that you're in, life would be good. That's where the word, that's where the caloric spiritual intake of the word begins to feed my soul. And we all need it. It's when you're in the mirror and the first voice you hear when you look in that mirror, proverbial mirror, is, I don't like you. Or it may ask, who are you? I don't even think I know you. Um, It may ask, um, who really knows me? Who really cares for me? Those may sound like weird or strange or too introspective questions, but trust me, uh, those are the questions of the heart. Um, So just an encouragement. If if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, in fact, maybe you can't even remember when it all started, but you're a follower, or if you're investigating becoming a follower of Jesus, the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures, the word of God is an incredible, not only starting point, but, but an everlasting place to go back to for nourishment. The second thing they devoted themselves to here is it says fellowship, sharing meals and the Lord's Supper and um, George Clooney, um, some call him the last Hollywood playboy, the about 50-year-old actress reveals in this new interview that uh, he, even he, suffers from bouts of loneliness. He, he says, quote, anyone would be lying if they said they didn't get lonely uh, at times. I mean, let's get real. We, we all get lonely. We don't want to act like it. We definitely don't want anyone to see us looking lonely. We grab the phone. We look straight down. We, we're, we've just been entered into a new portal whereby loneliness can't exist there. Yet sometimes uh, we are these lonely people. And here's what loneliness looks like. It's when you're in deep grief and loss and you turn inward and think, no one can understand my loss. No one. No one's been through what I'm going through. No one could dare uh, understand it. Or when you find yourself in secret sin, that one's a deep, dark loneliness. You find yourself in some addiction you never thought possible. You find yourself in this habitual act of sin that you're ashamed of it. You can't believe you got there. The story's gotten twisted and you don't even know how you got there. That's loneliness. Um, Here's another way that we can be deeply lonely. You find yourself deeply successful. Maybe you've never met someone like that. But once you do and you get close to someone who is successful, you may hear them say, I really don't need any more money. And I'm just tapping my pencil on my desk, wondering what, am I, what else am I supposed to do with my life? That's a loneliness. Uh, those of us who are wanting to be that successful person, it's like, man, I'll take some of that. <laughs> I, I, I bet I wouldn't be lonely if, if, if I ever got there. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They, they, dev- they, they were committed to fellowship. They sacrificed other things so that they could enter into fellowship again and again and again with one another. Uh, So, in summary of this one on fellowship, their fellowship is not centered around being American, being Japanese, being Chinese, being Mexican. It's not centered around any of those things. (laughs) 
It's not centered around being an extrovert or an introvert or what Enneagram are you or what Myers-Briggs are you. And we'll get all the ones that are just alike and, and that'll be our fellowship. The fellowship of the ENFPs or the fellowship of the Enneagram number sevens or whatever it might be. This is the fellowship of a community of the risen Savior. That's what their fellowship is all about. Uh, Verse 5, if you want to go back earlier here in Peter's sermon regarding this fellowship, it says that members were present from every nation under heaven. Wow. That's a fellowship I want to be a part of. That's, That's a diversity that I truly, in this life, long to see. Because I know it's God's promise from the very beginning to Abraham. This is basically, in the first century, a sociological impossibility. I mean, how how are these different types of people from different social classes and ethnicities beginning to come together and actually thrive together? And the answer is through the resurrection. That's the unity. That's the fellowship. And so the question for me and you regarding this fellowship is, who do you spend time with? Who is it? Who do we spend time with? Who who are we investing time in? And my encouragement is this week, this week, try to meet up with someone from the table, church. That may be part of what you do already, but if you haven't started doing that, just meet up with another brother or a sister for coffee or prayer, a phone call. Meet up, fellowship together. Notice the next thing in their diet is they were devoted to generosity. And they're basically showing us how to go from fear to cheer with their giving. You know, I mean, what, what truly would motivate these people? They're selling their possessions, they're giving to people who are in need, and I mean, what in the world is going on? Verse 44 says they shared everything they had. One of my favorite theologians said, except, um, except their, um, their marriages... <laughs> Right? They're very, very liberally minded in terms of their generosity. They're, they're, they're like overflowing with their generosity. Yet they're not sharing their wives with someone. They're not sharing their husbands with someone. That's a gift that God has given that there's certain boundaries around. Verse 46, uh, it, it mentions their attitude regarding the, everything that they're sharing. It says they're doing it with great joy and generosity. You know, I mean, this is, this is a prayer request for you and for me at this, at this juncture as we say, Lord, help me be generous. Help me. Um, or Lord, help me have your joy in being generous. Show me what you want me to give. Help me remember that the core of the giving actually came from you. Help me give in such a way that models your generosity to me. Theologian uh, writing 1,700 years ago, his name was uh, Basil the Great. He used to say, the bread you don't use is the bread of the hungry. The garments in your closet that you don't use are the clothes of the naked. The shoes you don't wear are the shoes of the person who's barefoot. The money you keep locked away is the money of the poor. Poignant. And Ambrose, again, writing 1,700 years ago, even more poignantly says, there's your brother. There he is, right over there. There's your brother, naked and crying, 
and you stand confused over the choice of an attractive floor covering. It's, it's quite convicting, isn't it? It's, it's very poignant. When we, when we think about how they devoted themselves to this kind of just radical generosity, not, not trying to get people's attention or get God's favor,